Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today from Naples, Italy, we have the pleasure of sitting down and picking the brain of Energy Standard head coach, Tom Rushton. Tom, how's it going, man? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. I'm in Naples. It's beautiful. No complaints. season as the head coach of the club but you've been with them for all three seasons um what is that what has that transition been like for you of, of really taking charge of the club while uh, while james steps into the managerial position to be honest between james and i it really hasn't been a huge change for us we are basically doing the exact same thing for both of us that we were doing before um you know we've been working together now since 2017 with the club before the before ISL, we were um, you know rounded you know we uh, we've we've kind of been pushing things you know pushing the envelope together trying to keep everything glued together um, so it really isn't any change obviously there's the you know the title is the change and and for James and myself both but everything else is basically the same yeah. Yeah, I mean that. You, so you've gotten to work with these athletes for four years now, um, which is a pretty special thing. I mean, I think Energy Standard before ISL was a pretty special thing. Getting getting to go to Gloria Sports Arena and work with some of the best athletes in the world in Turkey. Um, can you tell me just briefly about that experience and and what you picked up those first couple of years being at Gloria in Turkey? Yeah, I mean. First off, we I, I love Gloria, and um, you know now having opportunities to get back there, I really enjoyed you know and, and savor those. Um, we did working with Estonia before Tokyo. We went back for two weeks, and it was really great to see all of those guys again. Um, Gloria was really good for us while we were there with Energy Standard, um, and you know I think when 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 we started there, which was for myself, it was early 2017 and, and James started late 2016. Turkey was not exactly a hot destination to go to and nobody had heard of Gloria. Uh, Sports Arena. So for us, it was a bit of a leap of faith to do that. Um, and I think certainly from my part, my, my peers looked at me like I was a crazy person going out to Turkey and, and kind of doing these, this, but uh, now obviously, Gloria is, is quite well known. And uh, I think a lot because of, you know, us putting it on the map, but I mean, they do a fantastic job and they're very professional. And um, I know that the, the sports marketing guys, they, they go to all of the major competitions and, and try to uh, sell their, their products and they do a great job. So I think now people are a lot more comfortable with that, but yeah, certainly when we went, everyone thought we were nuts. And then even to bring in some of the athletes, that was a bit, um, you know, the athletes were quite uh, reticent. You know, there was um, some some um, hesitation for sure, both with the athletes and even with the federations to uh, allow their athletes to go to what they perceived as, a, you know, various different perceptions of, of things. But, you know, the reality is that Antalya is a beautiful place. Um, Turkey's 
very wonderful. The people are awesome and we had nothing but good things about it. So, yeah, I mean, and then just the, the, the cherry on top to get to work with athletes like Chad McClough, Sarah Showstrom, uh, Michaela Romanchuk, you know, it's the, the list goes on. Um, did, did, what do you feel like you got, especially those first few months of working with those athletes? Were you coaching specific athletes? Were you and James, you know, just kind of working with everyone or did you split off into groups? Um, how did, how did, how did you guys kind of find your flow and coaching that, that group? I mean, both James and I have our, um, you know, we're, we're, we're competent coaches in, in whatever we do, but we both have our kind of preferred niche for me. It's the middle distance around 200s and 400s and James, enjoys working with the sprinters the fifties and the hundred guys. We, um, so we kind of gravitate towards those areas. We do work with everybody, of course. Um, but when, you know, when we started, uh, in, in 2016, 2017, it wasn't the star studded cast that, um, people associate now with the club. We had quite a different, uh, cast of characters and, and some of them made it all the way through, uh, others, you know, came in and came out. Um, and then, you know, slowly we built up and I think that it, you know, it was a little bit bittersweet for us because obviously with COVID and with everything that's happened, we were not, a, and with, with the COVID restrictions and, um, kind of creating a, basically making it impossible for us to, to finish last season. And then also because of COVID, the Olympics being postponed a year, we were not able to really finished the project the way that we wanted to in that, in that regard, you know, obviously we've still got the ISL and that's the new thing, but when we got there, it was all about getting the athletes to Tokyo. And so it was a little bit bittersweet to watch so many of the athletes that we've been working with for so long do so well in Tokyo, but for us to be, you know, passing them off back to their home countries a few months before, um, obviously great to see them to, to see, but, a little bit, a little bit frustrating at the same time. Makes sense. The, so if you're working with the middle distance guys, um, who, who did you get to coach your first couple of years at Gloria? And um, yeah, what, what was that like for you? Can you, can you share any stories or particular memories that stick out that middle distance crew? Um, yeah, the middle distance crew, um, you know, we, we, again, kind of evolved. We had some, some coming in, some coming out. Uh, Chad, obviously, was is kind of. I mean, Chad and Sarah, being the the captains of our ISL team, are obviously kind of the people that most uh, the swimmers that most people think of. I think when they think of the, the of the squad. Um, and although Sarah's actually, you know, she's obviously known for her sprinting. In terms of training, she's she's quite um, formidable, and she would gravitate more towards the the longer distance side of sprint. So she frequently would be in the middle distance squad, you know, um, Chad, obviously as well, somebody that's in there. And then, um, but the, you know, the squad's never just made up of those type of people. So, um, you know, we've got, um, I mean, and, and like I said, I was in Estonia or I was in Tokyo with Estonia. Um, one of the athletes that I've had the pleasure of working with now for, I think over four years maybe is um, Craig Zerk from Estonia, who's, you know, he came in out of Plymouth Leander program. Um, he, he, he finished there and came into our squad and, and uh, really progressed 
all the way through and, and ended up making semifinal in, in Tokyo and kudos to him for the work that he put in to get to that point. Um, when I came from Canada, I came with Mary Sophie Harvey, who's still part of her ISL team. And, um, you know, she's just a, a terrific trainer and super versatile athlete. Um, and, you know, can, and she, she's obviously had success in the 200s you also come down to some athletes that you know that's the kind of the core um, and then on the Turkish side we have our number one draft pick Victoria Gunias who um, has been a real staple for our ISL squad and you know we obviously being based in Turkey we had seen her quite a lot and we were familiar with her and as we as it came towards I guess it was uh, 2018 um, we recognized we knew that the ISL was going to become a thing and, and we kind of positioned ourselves in order to try to uh, help her out because she was, you know, she was in a bit of a, a bad situation with terms of coaching. And so we picked her up and she became, again, a, just a, a staple in that middle distance team. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, just fun hearing you talk about these athletes that you formed this now years long relationship with. And so, um, coming into this season, obviously we had the Budapest bubble last year uh, because of COVID, and I, I, I think that was a success, uh, uh, you know, all in all, given the circumstances. And then this year, it's kind of a similar format, but you've got you know three different mini bubbles. Um, Naples being the first. Uh, so coming into Naples, even before match one, um, what what is training like, and what are you doing that first week to get them race ready? you know, knowing, I'm assuming you can't hit them too hard with training. Well, I mean, so for context, I mean, uh, I was, we came out of Tokyo and then we had three, three weeks and, um, I was sending sessions to, to Chad, Victoria and to Gregor. And my message to them was basically, we basically took one week rest where they, they went home to, you know, their respective countries. And, and, um, you know, Chad, Chad and Craig hadn't been back to their, their countries for quite a number of months and weeks. So it was good for them to get back and see family and friends. And then the second week of that break was a little bit more, I wouldn't say focused on training, but it was about being active and touching the water a little bit. And then the third week I started sending sessions, but it was very much, uh, very much a uh, kind of piece piece together. Do what you can do. Be show up ready to compete, not necessarily ready to to swim best times or anything. Um, and then when we arrived, I think we arrived on the Monday and had our first match on the Thursday. So we didn't have really much time to train. It was more about get wet a few times, get familiar with the pool, and then race and see what we got. Uh, I mean, again, especially for these middle distance athletes, uh, at least here, I think we're so used to this idea of like, you have your big summer meet and then you take some time off <laughs> and then you train for two months, right? You like get back in shape and then you, you almost don't race until maybe October, maybe even November. 
Um, and so to, to see, especially these, these athletes compete in two hundreds and four hundreds and for some of them have really good times is, do you expect that just because of the caliber of athlete they are? Um, again, as a coach, how do you navigate that knowing that they don't have this huge base under of training already, but they need to be race ready multiple weeks in a row? I think on one side, we're, we're very lucky, fortunate that it's a short course competition, because obviously that's a lot easier, especially as a middle distance athlete, it's a lot easier to be ready to race and, and ready to race is, you know, it, uh, it's a pretty broad term being ready just means like literally being ready to stand up and race the person next to you, not necessarily compete at your best. Um, but yeah, for the middle distance guys, especially the 400s are much more forgiving in the short pool than in, in long course, and they can get away with it a little bit. And then, um, you know, so we, yeah, so we had the first match and then we had, I think four days where we got just touching the water and actually like, um, I would say, uh, re-familiarizing ourselves with training. Um, and then we had a second match and now we've actually got a two week period where we can get some training in. And, and we, what we try to do now is, is to, um, again, touch all of the different, um, training zones and try to get a little bit of quality work in, but without, um, without really accumulating a huge amount of fatigue, because we still, obviously we have to race and we have to race quite fast, but the hope is that we can get a little bit of work, still get a little bit of volume, but because of the, uh, you know, because we're not really deep into work, we should be able to, you know, rest another couple of days and hopefully swim, swim well again in the third match. We'll see. But yeah. this, this, this year is going to be, I think, uh, this year is going to be different because there's so many competitions, so many competitions that have been postponed from um, the COVID issues, obviously. Um, but also, you know, with, with all ISL. So we have ISL. Some of the athletes would go to World Cups and we've got Eindhoven ISL. And then we've got uh, some of the athletes have European short course, um, world short course, ISL final, and then, you know, world championships in May and then Commonwealth Games or European championships as well. So it's, it's a lot of competing this season. And I think it's yeah. just part of, you know, hopefully returning to a normal schedule after the, the whole COVID stuff. And, you know, hopefully we can navigate our way through training in specific um, targeted blocks and, and then racing as well as we can on those other pieces. So. Um, yeah. So speaking of, you know, so much racing in, in the next calendar year, uh, I think the ISL has certainly brought this up. I think a lot of the athletes associated with energy standard, you know, especially Sarah and Chad have kind of adopted this philosophy of getting in shape through racing and, and racing quite a bit, you know, not necessarily just training and training and training, and then showing up to the big meet, not having had, um, a ton of meet reps. Um, well, how do you, as a coach, just have, what do you think of that philosophy personally? You know, it, I love it as a swim fan, 
solely because you get to see the athletes race more and you get more data and you get to kind of see how they operate a little bit more in the public eye. Um, but just as a coach, how do you feel like, what do you, what do you feel like that does for the athlete of, you know, getting yourself in shape or using the meets as a part of your training? I mean, I think that ISL is a bit, is a different type of meet because, you know, when you, when you go to, um, a week long competition, like uh, Tokyo, you're not actually racing a lot, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're one of those athletes who has a massive schedule. And even, you know, um, I think some of the superstars from the US have a bigger schedule still because they would have also relays. Mm -hmm. Most of the athletes that most athletes are not racing that many times. And so then what happens is you come into the competition, you've got a eight day competition, and you're racing maybe five or six times in that eight days, it's a big um, resting commitment. And it's a big, it's a big um, change from the normal training. ISL is quite different because in the two days you're, you're probably racing six times, something like that, or, you know, five or six times. And it's only a two hour racing block. So you're not really taking the athlete out of their training environment too, too much depending on what we've found this year is depending on the time slot, because local time in Naples, we're um, competing eight to 10 PM most of the time. And so that obviously is quite different than the normal training time. And so there's changes that we have to make for that, but we're almost able to get a normal um, training template in most of the weeks with just a few lighter sessions to uh, accommodate for the more intense sessions, which are the swimming uh, but you know, if you're doing, if you're doing 2000 meter warm up, you're racing and then you're doing a 500 swim down, you're racing, you're doing a 500 swim down, you're racing, you're doing a 500 swim down, you're still getting in, you know, 5k session. So it's very different. And I think because of that, uh, the athletes are able to sustain a little bit better, obviously when they, you know, when they attend the, the major international competitions, it's different. And I think personally, that's the major difference between those big end of season competitions that you would taper and sharpen for exclusively. And not to say that we don't um, try to have our best, have, have our athletes perform their best at the end of season at ISL. It's just that it's a different type of, of, of sharpening, a different type of, of resting. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I think we've seen, I think we've seen both, the, the, the really interesting thing to me is we've seen both methods work, right, um, in different situations. You know, people go best times in ISL in the regular season. Coleman Stewart just won a world record at the first meet, you know. Um, and, then, and then we've seen athletes taper down for an ISL final or obviously Olympics or world championships, and they go really fast there too. And so it's, I just find that very interesting because I think the more opportunities there are for racing, the better it is for everyone. Uh, again, that's also just as a fan, but, um, it seems like we've seen more and more athletes using those meets and, and being able to incorporate meets as a part of their training, as opposed to just, you know, maybe competing once every four to six weeks. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I think there's definitely, um, there are definitely different cultures around it and different training philosophies. Obviously we have 
athletes from many different countries and those athletes are coming from many different um, coaches. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I, I would say that certainly when we're working with the athletes and, and trying to work with their home coaches, there's a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different schools of thought around how and what they should be doing at any given moment. And part of our job here on the ground in Naples is to make sure that everyone gets what they need in terms of, um, you know, base training in terms of quality work in terms of, especially in terms of attention, because, you know, some of the athletes will come in with a program or even just a workout from home. um, That's very specific to what they need. Um, you know, a, a good example, and I think that Matt will be okay with me saying this is, you know, Madeline Bannock has a lot of work she does specifically to work on her underwater stuff. Mm-hmm. She's obviously excellent at that. And, and we want to support her in, in, in doing what she needs to do there, but it does mean that sometimes she's a little bit outside of the group. Um, and so it's really important that for us that, you know, if we have a group doing one thing and we have one or two athletes doing something else that we make sure that they're still getting the attention that they need, because, you know, you don't want to feel like just because you have, you know, something special that you need to do, you're being ignored. So I think that's a huge part of, of what we need to be aware of as coaching staff is to make sure that all the athletes feel like what they're doing is valuable and that they're a valuable member of the team, because obviously they are, especially in ISL. Yeah, that, that seems like a point that uh, you wouldn't get from the outside. But the, once you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, obviously, obviously in ISL, the team comes first, right? And, and, and building that team and putting all those pieces together um, is an integral part. I, I hope Matt isn't upset. We love Matt Kredich. He's, he's a great guy. We love all his swimmers. I do too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, is, is there, I'm, I am curious, is there any athlete? on your team, right. On energy standard right now, who, who, you know, once a week or something just cranks massive yardage and feels like that's what they need. Oh yeah. You'd be surprised. Um, again, one of our, one of our athletes is a sprinter this week. You know, we obviously we, this is, um, so it's September 10th right now when we're recording this and, um, we're in the, towards the end of our first week of a two week training block in between matches two for us matches two and three, which I think it's match three was our, was our second match, but one of the athletes to, to rebuild his capacity is every morning this week, he's just swimming two hours straight. That's, <laughs> and he's, he's a sprinter. He's a, he's a hundred, you know, sometimes some two hundreds, but you know, it's everyone comes in with a, with a different, like I said, different uh, philosophy and, um, yeah, it's, I think that certainly for myself, um, in the last five years, I've seen so many different ways of training athletes. It kind of, it certainly makes you recognize that you don't necessarily know the right answers because you see success from so many completely radically different ways of training that we clearly have a lot to learn still in terms of what creates, you know, great swimmers. So. And so, so then on that note, taking a dive, a little bit of a dive into, um, your life outside of swimming, you're also into trail running and, and, and ultra races. Um, and I'm curious if that ever, you know, ever bleeds over into your swim coaching or, or the way you approach swimming or how you think about, uh, training philosophy at all. Um, 
I think that in some ways I kind of, uh, I can connect sometimes with the athletes a little bit more in terms of how they might feel in some training environments. Um, but I, running is a very different activity than swimming. Um, you know, you're running, especially for, for me, if I'm running for an hour, it's really not very long. And I would say, um, there's not a huge amount of intensity that goes into it. Whereas swimming, it's mainly interval based and, you know, definitely other than the one athlete that I just mentioned, most people don't swim for an hour or two hours straight. Um, so in some ways, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that definitely I have a, I can connect with the athletes sometimes on, on, you know, uh, as from an athletic point of view, but it's, it is very different. So they enjoy it. They enjoy kind of spectating sometimes when I, a lot of the time I'll, I'll run commute from the pool to the hotel or, or back and forth. And they kind of, they find that kind of interesting, I would say. <laughs> what, um, so my, my mom's a trail runner. She runs ultra races as well. And so that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious what, what struck you about running? How, how did you pick that up? Cause I know you were a swimmer in college, you were, you know, D3 NCAA, uh, all American and, but, um, what, to, what, how, how did you get to trail running from there? Uh, it's a good question. After, after I stopped swimming, um, after I stopped swimming I took it, my, my first kind of coaching job was with a small club uh, in Canada in a town called Summerland, which is right next to Penticton, which is where Ironman Canada was held at the time. And I think is now held there again. And I didn't really know anybody. So I got involved a little bit with um, some master swimmers and some of them were triathletes and they said, Oh, you should come and do triathlon. So I did triathlon for a while um, after I stopped swimming, which I liked a lot. Um, and I was definitely a better triathlete than I was a, a swimmer, but, um, this was, you know, the same time that I was becoming a, you know, becoming a swim coach. And as I got better at swim coaching, I would travel and my athletes would go to, to competitions farther and farther away. And it would become much more of a commitment and, um, cycling and traveling is just not easy. It's, it's a very difficult sport to do when you're <laughs> traveling all the time. And, um, I also don't like to do things half-heartedly. So after a couple of years, I just decided that I wasn't going to do the triathlon anymore. When I started, my friends had told me, oh, running, you like running because you can do it anywhere. All you need is you know, a pair of shoes. And I did not really, took me a long time to get into running, but it turned out they were actually correct because now it's, it's easy to do it anywhere. And I also find that it helps me uh, be a little bit more disciplined with myself, trying to find, you know, a uh, little moments to, to get a run in. Um, so definitely, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, and, and trail running, it just, it's, for me, it's more fun. I just, I get bored on, on the road. Like it, it's not, it's not for me. A lot of people don't really like uphill running and stuff like that, but I find it, I like, I like it. It's hard. So it's good. What, what, uh, what distances does your mom do? Uh, 
Um, <clears throat> she, uh, she recently did uh, a 100K in Washington State. Um, and uh, so I think she's, she's done a few 50Ks. I think she's maybe done a 50 mile. Um, she's, she's looking at a couple more of those in the future. She was talking about doing a hundred mile race, but I don't think she's going to do that. This, this, this go around. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, she, um, yeah, she got into it and, and, and really enjoys it. And um, she does a lot of, she primarily does trail running as well. And I did that with her for a while and um, I'm with you there. Trail, trail running yeah. is, is where it's at. It's just much more scenic, much more serene. Yeah. I took my, the three weeks that I mentioned after Tokyo, I actually went out to Colorado and kind of did a little bit of a, a personal altitude camp because then I, at the end of the three weeks, I did the Pikes Peak race um, and actually met up with Russell Mark out there. Um, his brother was doing the race and we hung out a little bit. Um, but I guess that's <clears throat> one way that um, what I did, the, one of the thoughts in my head was that I would do this, this altitude piece for myself, because obviously it was going to be helpful when you're racing up to 4,400 meters or 14,000 feet or whatever. Um, but also I'm now after this Naples stop, I'm planning an altitude camp with the athletes. So I felt like it was going to be quite helpful and beneficial to, to be able to um, sympathize, I guess is the right word, but also to um, preempt some of their concerns and, 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 uh, symptoms, I guess, of, of training at altitude. And it's actually quite interesting talking to the athletes who are going to be joining me. Um, some of them have done altitude training before, and I think it actually does quite reassure them that I, um, you know, I did, I definitely wasn't perfect in, in my personal three week camp. I made some, some errors in, in, uh, training a little bit too hard too early and, uh, and things like that. And, but trying to reassure, like talk to them about how easy you need to go, because I think a lot of, a lot of athletes seem to me, a lot of athletes seem to have had a negative experience with things like that, where they've gone too hard too early. And as a coach, I know when I'm writing sessions, it's really difficult to, uh, especially with the easy sessions, it's really difficult to write an easy session that's easy enough for the athletes to actually regenerate mm. appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so I can actually, I can understand if you, as a, as a coach have never actually trained at altitude, how it would be quite difficult to understand that you really, it's very boring work. Like you just basically show up for at least the first 10 days and you kind of, you know, plod back and forth and it's not going to be very much, not very much exciting as a coach. So, yeah, I, that's so. Do you where are you guys doing the altitude camp? Uh, we're planning to go to Sierra Nevada in Spain. Sounds nice. Uh, that's 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 pretty cool, and that's uh, obviously seems like a cool opportunity. You know, you have this downtime between the regular season and the playoffs, and um, yeah, to get to do that. I mean, I know that's very popular here, and. Um, I know I've heard a lot of athletes say about training at altitude, you know, it, it is, it's definitely a different animal and you do have to treat it as such. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way that I've tried to explain it to the athletes is 
there's lots of different ways that you can increase your training load. And, you know, the easiest one is to add volume. Everyone thinks, well, if I train more, I've added a training load, which is correct. Um, and it's just another way to do that. But if you try to do, because, uh, uh, but also a lot of people will go to a training camp and then try to add training load, which is normal. But if you add, if you go to an altitude camp and then you also add volume, this is where I think people can potentially get into um, trouble pretty quickly. So we'll see, hopefully it's successful and hopefully we all come out of it fitter and faster. <laughs> we'll we'll see in a few weeks i guess yeah <laughs> well yeah i i'm i i'll be excited to see how that goes uh certainly and and uh just in the nearest future how, how the next match goes um but yeah tom i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat and give us some insight into the energy standard methods uh it's been really great yeah get, getting your insight today yeah no it's been excellent to sit down with you and chat and uh Look forward to um, our next match, like you said. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done, we were really, really pleased with the way the athletes came and showed up, especially at the second match. We asked them to be a little bit better on the second match, and they were really actually quite a lot better. So I think um, it'll be interesting now to see how we go from a little bit of a break and then step into this third match. So. Uh, it's going to be, I think, I think personally, it's our, probably our toughest match. I think we're against uh, London, LA and Tokyo, I believe. Um, and I, I know London's going to get their, their Australian reinforcements coming in. So we'll see. We'll see. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.